Hi, welcome to the Integrative Health Podcast with Dr. Jen Flegar. This podcast is meant to educate and empower about important health topics. Dr. Jen's passion is to get to the root cause of disease and prevent illness. She will also feature guests who are experts in their fields and experiences in all things related to integrative medicine. Okay, welcome back to the Integrative Health Podcast with Dr. Jen. Today, I have Brendan McNamara. He is a human being made in the image of God and his likeliness as a creator. He's created characters on screens, big and small, from the Boys and Girls Guide to Getting Down to Brooklyn 99 to Louder Milk on stage, from Neil Simon to countless improv shows on the stage of UCB Groundlings, Second City, Improv Olympics, Hot House, etc., and on paper, writer for Ripe TV, Hollywood Burn. His creative feature films, The Light of Love, documentaries on everything from bull riding to street racing to celebrity impersonators, hundreds of short films, and a vinyl com- comedy album, The Big Tickle. He also hosts a daily biblical devotional on Instagram and pursues a multitude of audio didactic areas of interest wherever winds or whimsels blow. So that that's one of the most creative bios I think I've read for a while. Welcome, Brendan. Thank you so much. Love so, to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why I have found you, which is amazing because you know how Instagram is, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's hard to find millions and millions of people. So it's I, hard. It's hard to find people, you know, Yes. Yes. Good point. So I had tons of people send me your video that you made recently. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that in your Instagram handle? Because I bet you people know who you are after they found that out. Sure. Um, as far as I know, my Instagram handle on Instagram is Fireball McNamara. All, yep, one, that's it. all, all, all one word. Uh, I often people ask me, and I forget because I, you know, you, you get multiple ones over multiple social media. You know, you can't always get your favorite. And I'm like, which one I am? Am I on that one? That's where I am on there. Um, and yeah, honestly, I recorded the video. Um, I think the day, or I put it up the day before my birthday, uh, back in April. Uh, my birthday's on tax day. Happy birthday to me! Any who anyone hears this on April fifteenth, and uh, it got some views, some traction shared amongst people I knew. And honestly, just in the past week, it was shared by a, I dare call her, I guess, an influencer of some sort, uh, Amanda Ensing, uh, who has like 1.4 million followers. And then in the space of a single day, it went from like 10,000 views to almost like 45,000 or something like that. Um, so a ton more people saw it. I thought I was done arguing with commenters over it. And little did I know <laughs> that it was about to take off again. And I was going to have all the same conversations. Yeah. And I love it because it's just, it's so fun and entertaining. And that's, but that's great because that's what you do. You, you entertain. So it was fun. It's fun to watch. So I'll share it to my Instagram because I, I love it. And we're going to cover a lot of the information today, but it's okay. super fun to, to see your face on the video and all your little music. You know, I did, I did try, I did try to make it entertaining because there wasn't a ton out there just simply presenting the case I was presenting, which is just high confidence science indicating uh, masks lack of efficacy in terms of limiting viral transmission, which is obviously 
for some people, it's considered kind of a hot topic. When I started looking into it, it really wasn't. It was just a, a burgeoning area of interest. Um, but over time, it became kind of a big deal. And so by the time I put this out, I was like, I don't want to do this as like an, any, any manner of assault or attack. And actually, I don't even want to go in and like deal with argumentation. I was like, let me just present the case. Because right now in the, in the court of public opinion, the uh, prosecution has to present their case ad nauseum for a year. And I was like, well, that's not really, no jury could be expected to adjudicate that case properly without, you know, the defense. So I was like, let me just present a, you know, a thumb, a thumbnail, like sketch version of what the defense's case would be. Because of course, this is science, y'all. Like, what in the world is settled in anything, right? Do we know what do we know? So I was like, oh, let's just examine this and let's have fun with it. Because again, I, do, I want to diffuse some tension because we don't need to have all this tension about looking at evidence together. I agree. Oh my gosh. I love that. I'm writing down it. This is science y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it is right. It should be fun. It should be fun. It's like, I mean, science in itself is about, I mean, listen, I'm an improviser and a, and a creative thinker and a nonlinear thinker. And so my whole life has been about looking at text, analyzing text. I'm an actor, right? I'm here. I'm here to look at text. And I'm going to, to tell you not only what the words say semantically, but what you can ascertain about the intentions of the person speaking it or even the person who wrote it right so as an actor i'm supposed to interpret sort of my interpretation as well as what's the character's sort of uh, uh motivation is kind of a cheap word to use but motivation as well as the author's intention right so i'm used to reading texts in multiple ways so i was like well let me let me look into this and let me try to convey it to people in in that same exploratory sense that science is a joy to go well i think it's this let's look let's try all right here's where we found it like this here's where you found it like that i mean what Again, what what sort of thing do we know in the world where you're like, yep, absolutely, one and done. All things tend towards entropy. You know what I mean? Things like that, sure, we can pretty much agree on. But everything else, let's let's figure it out. Absolutely. And I I love your viewpoint because some people be, would be like, oh, well, why, why him? Why him to talk about? But just like you said, you like looking at things from a different way. You like interpreting things. And I think as doctors and some scientists out there, they are literally not, they're not unturning every stone anymore. They're just sure. like, oh, this CDC says this. So this is the way it is. You know, the, the world is flat, right? And that's what's really is gotten onto my nerves. Like you said, we're not making this fun anymore. We're shooting down anything that strays from popular opinion. And it's dangerous. I think it's, I think it's dangerous, honestly. I would agree. I think it's more dangerous actually in just in an interpersonal and societal, social, moral sense than probably anything else. Because honestly, if you get a few interventions wrong and you cause cascading harm, that, that can be one thing. But the, but the loss of communication, I think, is so much more fundamentally human than any individual sort of action we could even contemplate. I mean, we are, we're talking about the roots of civilization go towards sharing and reasoning together as a means of ascertaining some measure of agreed upon hopeful future. Yeah, great point. And, and that's, like you said, we're, we're just shutting down communication and censoring and how, how are we going to get better? How are we going to learn? And, you know, from my standpoint, it's been frustrating because there's been whole Facebook groups of physicians trying to work this out, trying to see each other's experiences using alternative treatments. Yeah. We've been completely shut down and it's like, well, how do we learn? That's how I learned 
in training that you learn from other experiences, other doctors and sharing and the word. And now we're just like, nope, can't do that. No, nope, you can't not. talk about that. It can't be that. It's like, well, it can't. I mean, don't let's not start throwing any absolutes around, right? Everything is likely, might, could. I mean, it's a rare, it's a rare to encounter anything absolute. You're like, let's, what have we seen? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause what, what do they say? The only thing that's absolute like is, is death and something else. Right. Isn't there sure. some death, death, death and taxes? I don't know. Yeah. 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 So, so everything else, you know, like you said, likely we're not a hundred percent sure you can't be. So mm-hmm. what, what got you into even making this, this cool, fun video about masks is something personal that happened to you. Or like you said, you just wanted to bring up lacking studies or it was, I guess, in some ways, the culmination of at least a thread within a uh, tapestry of upheaval uh, that took place in the last year. Uh, it singularly was influenced by just reading uh, one NPR article. I love NPR, total NPR nerd. And then in the in the article, this is right around the time that the right before, I think, actually, or rather before or after the WHO and the CDC kind of flipped their guidance, or at the very least, it was like, uh, it was on the horizon. Um, and people were kind of like, wait, what do you mean? You just said it wasn't, now it is. What's going on there? People were still trying to ascertain that. that people hadn't really come up with the dominant hypothesis of, uh, oh, well, they were trying to conserve masks or whatever, which still really has no evidence. It's just a random hypothesis. Anyway, in the article, it mentioned that there were uh, no, or maybe even few, but as I recall it, it my uh, if there were no uh, random control trials, the quote gold standard of scientific proof on masks and viral transmission. And I was like, finished reading the article, and I was like, huh, well, that's weird. I mean, I'm not a science guy, but I know, I mean, I've read scientific studies just for pleasure or whatever, just kind of looking up things over, over time. I've had various illnesses, so I've had to look things up to kind of research my own um, treatment. And just out of curiosity. Uh, so I was like, that seems weird. Let me go check that out. Let me fact check that, I guess. Uh, within 15 minutes, I found two random control trials on masks and viral transmission. So that, to me, put me in this weird twilight zone moment of, okay, either no one edited this, no one checked it, or they're straight up lying. I don't know which. I, I, all that is random conjecture. Um, but there are some. So, well, wait, are there, are there more? And so I just kept looking. And I looked for a year before I even started contemplating, like, putting it down in some sort of, like, permanent shareable form. Yeah, that's great. And, and that's the thing is that I love that PubMed is there. These studies are there available for everyone, everyone to read. And we yeah. should be empowering ourselves. We should be reading these things. And yeah, it's nice when you get a news article and they summarize it for you, but yeah. we have found out the last year and a half. I, I don't, I don't trust anything from the news anymore. <laughs> you got, if, if they don't give me a click through, honestly, I, I get kind of irritated with any article now. I was like, give me the click through so I can validate what you've said. Yes. Cause I, I should be able to, essentially understand it. And now it troubles me deeply. I was like, in the age of the internet, every article should have a click-through to source. If it doesn't, then at that sometimes you click through to source and it just goes to another one of their articles. And then you click on that source and it goes to somebody else's article. And I'm like, okay, well, you basically told me you didn't do any research. And now I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. I'm sorry. Bye. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. They, I'm, I'm researching on myself now, you know, if they straight out said, Oh, this is an opinion of someone based on experience sure. and that's something different, but yeah. I think we, we can't be messing around with that stuff right now, especially if we're talking about putting masks on our kids for eight hours at school. Right. I mean, I want the data, I want the research, you know, yeah. all the studies. So you talk, you make an awesome analogy about this pyramid of knowledge. Yeah. 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 So can you go through that a little bit for me? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so my interest in the hierarchy of scientific evidence came through, uh, let's not front, having arguments on social media for six to nine months and not even trying to be arguing, but just going, here's what I found. And this seems complete contradictory. What have you found? Why do you think this? Blah, 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 blah. And I was constantly trying to weigh all these different forms of evidence. And I had just an inherent sense that just because of phrases like the gold standard of scientific proof floating through my head from the, I mean, honestly, Google that RCT and gold standard of scientific proof, and you'll find just a cascade, thousands of articles. That's just like a, I, I feel like it must be in the AP style handbook for journalists. <laughs> it's everywhere. So I thought, I was like, okay, that must be a credible thing. And just logically, you're like a random control trial is then therefore taking a control group and a group where they're going to apply some sort of measure, perhaps an intervention in this case. And then those are going to be people in the same place. They're going to be randomized. So you can't really game the like health or wellness of participants or anything like that. And they're geographically controlled in a similar area. So you're like, oh, this seems just reasonably, this is this would be a pretty credible means of establishing the efficacy of something. Um, so I knew that must be important, but I had no sense of any sort of uh, heuristic, any like metric by which to gauge it. Uh, so I literally, as with anything, I just looked it up. <laughs> I literally looked up, Googled, how do scientists know what evidence is best? And eventually that led me to a ton of pyramids, all of which had different color schemes, depending who made them, but pretty much were all arranged the same way. And I was delighted in this because I was like, wait, here's something in terms of arguing with people. That's why I started with that. Here's something we can all agree on. Are you a science person? I'm a science person. Cool. We both believe in knowledge and exploring knowledge. And then, but then once you have knowledge, how do you, how does science say to organize it? Right? Cause we heard that phrase for a year, follow the science. All right. Here, finally, it was like, oh, good. Here's something where I can kind of put things in boxes to measure out what kind of evidence everything is. And I thought, at least at the time, maybe naively, I was like, great. This way I can get on the same page with anyone I discuss this with. So where we're like, well, here, do we agree in science is something legitimate? Yes. Do we agree that this is what science says is the most and least legitimate evidence? Yes. Okay, look at that. We've agreed on two things. And now let's talk about the stuff we don't agree on. So how did that go for you once you started to tell people, you know, there's the bottom, you know, that's people's opinion. The top is random, random controlled studies. Yeah. So how, how did that go? Were people like, oh, no, we saw this on the news, though. I don't care what your your articles show. It's funny. For some people, it was it did exactly as I hoped, which was open the door. Let's just, let's get a firm foundation of here are the things we agree on, as opposed to sometimes leaping too far past that and realizing way too late, maybe three, four hours into a Twitter debate with a stranger that you're like, oh, we don't even have the same presuppositions of what constitutes knowledge or credible knowledge or not. Um, but for other people, it is a simply a shocking document of how uninterested people are in 
what science considers credible evidence. Mm -hmm. and, and I know people online have called this scientism, a kind of seen thrown around as a term, that there's kind of those who believe in science more as a concept or simply something communicated to them, almost the way that you would like believe in a priest, what a priest says instead of what the Bible says, for me to put it in like Christianese. But it's similar to that, where you're like, if unless it comes through the particular style of intermediary, then you cannot acknowledge it as credible. And there are people who will not no matter what I say, will not move beyond ultimately the bottom of the of the pyramid, which is expert opinion. And if expert opinion disputes it, they'll just take that bottom of the pyramid and just smash all the other bricks like some sort of arcade game. And that could be dangerous. It's, it's horrifying to me. I mean, yes. It scares me. Like I do that as an actor, I'll submit to a director or whatever, but that level of submission where you just submit and go, I trust you completely to to ultimately strangers who then haven't provided you with any evidence of their, of the efficacy of their uh, maneuvers or suggestions. You know what I mean? I mean, ultimately everyone who works at the CDC is a stranger to me. I've never paid attention to anything CDC said before 2020. Yeah. And, and the thing about experience is though, the people making these decisions, like, like me, the, the health local health commissioner, um, has he had an experience with the pandemic before and, you know, saying masking our children? Um, no, he hasn't. So that's, that's a different experience. Like you said, a director, if a director has had 200 plays, you know, but if you look at someone that, you know, no one has dealt with a pandemic like this before and they're the experts, but they're not relying on the studies that are coming out that is a little bit dangerous to me. Yeah, it's well, and it seemed very early that people got afraid and tribalistic, which is kind of a natural thing, right? I just it, I feel like very quickly this the threat of this quote unquote the quote unquote, the pandemic and all that it actually is, and even what it just represents, almost turned us all into a prison yard, and people were just like, "Who thinks like me?" and things. Got, I, I politicize is almost the wrong word, but that's kind of how we refer to it as, right, a lot of times. But things got politicized so quickly to where, I know it was like this in, in scientific publishing as well, like the Dan Mask, the only RCT during on masks in COVID took like, it was like seven, got rejected by like seven publications. And then it got to one, was peer-reviewed, past peer review. It's been published. It's been discussed. You know what I mean? It was like, so there wasn't some inherent problem with it. So obviously people got freaked out and tribed up really fast and then didn't want to, basically people didn't want to talk to each other. Right, right. Well, let's talk about some of those studies that you spoke about. Sure. So let's go to the one by um, Jacobs, that use of surgical face masks to reduce the incidence of the common cold among healthcare workers in Japan, a randomized control trial. And these studies, a lot of them that we're going to be talking about are at that cream of the crop, the top, the gold standard. So yeah. Which, which is amazing. And so this, I'm going to have all these studies linked in the show notes for yes. listeners. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about this one a little bit. Um, do you, do you want to go ahead? Cause you, you have all these down, right? Uh, I do. Uh, yes, I actually opened them so I can uh, double check them. Sorry, which one do you want to do first? The uh, use, surgical, use surgical, surgical face mask? Face mask. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so this was actually, I think, one of the earliest published that I found. And this is probably one of the three or 
four first ones that I had found. Mm-hmm. This, this is a, yeah, this is a random control uh, trial in healthcare workers, um, which I sort of focused on in my video, which people can see. Um, and I focused on the healthcare setting. I sort of, I explained in the video, but I'll reiterate here. I felt like, so the randomized control trial, ultimately in terms of a, a testing of a hypothesis in the real world is so the best opportunity to arrive at something that feels like a real conclusion because it's in the real world. These are real people infecting or not infecting other people. And uh, you have a control group as well as an intervention group. That's all great. I think in the healthcare system, you have in many ways like the most controlled of the most controlled because you have people who are, especially with masks, people who are experienced in wearing masks when they're supposed to wear them. Uh, you also have a sort of the geographic control of being sort of just in that healthcare setting. So I definitely focused on that pretty heavily as I begin to pour through exhaustive amounts of data. And I was like, okay, where's the best of the best of the best? So in healthcare workers, I feel like you're going to get the most rigorous application. Um, And here they randomized perfectly, exactly what you want in this sort of situation, um, into two groups, one wearing face masks, uh, one that didn't. Uh, They were uh, randomized. This was the common cold. One of the reasons I thought that was uh, relevant is common cold is a coronavirus in the very least. Um, You know, it's R not is different, all sorts of stuff like that. But in the very least, it would be transmitted uh, in the same fashion. Now, it's a small, it's a pretty small um, study in terms of the, the group of people in there, um, but it very clearly uh, demonstrated there was uh, no benefit in terms of cold symptoms or getting to- getting colds. They, as any smaller uh, RCT would suggest, they were like, we need a bigger study to, us- to sort of firmly, definitively establish, they said, non-inferiority mm-hmm. of no mask use. But nonetheless, when I was first looking, here was a prime example of, they studied it, they checked it, it provided no benefit. Mm-hmm. And these are people that are experienced in wearing masks, and these are surgical masks. They're not yes. masks, they're not kids that are like, licking their hands, touching their face, touching their masks, and these masks fit properly, you know, all of that. So that's why I think the healthcare system is like Mm -hmm. one of the best places to check the actual efficacy of the actual intervention as opposed because then you can't kind of credit the like, well, early in the pandemic, there was a lot of, well, you might be touching it, you're pulling on it, you're you're schmutzing it, you don't wear it, it's below your nose. I was like, no, this is Japan, first of all, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, parts of Japan have had some of the highest uh, mask compliance uh, of around the world. They're used to wearing masks even in, in their wider culture, let alone in a hospital setting where it would be standard operating procedure. Mm-hmm. Now, this one I think was was really cool. So this is a Leo. It's the face mask, hand hygiene, and influenza among young adults, a randomized interventional trial. And this was from 2012. So, I mean, they, yes. I mean, people have been looking at face masks for like like a decade or two. I mean, these studies are not just brand new due to this pandemic. So. No. And I spoke to people early on. Uh, I literally spoke to a woman who had written um, a piece in the Wall Street Journal. She was one of the many articles that I'd seen that said there were no random control trials on this. Uh, I saw that multiple times and I was like, wait a second. No, I literally know of 12 and I'm nobody. I'm, I'm an, an <laughs> actor. I'm literally an autodidact sitting at home, stuck at home because there's no production. And I was like, I found them. So you could have found them or your editor could have. Anyway, this, I told this lady, uh, I told multiple people that when, they, when I saw that, only one answered. She had written an article for the Wall Street Journal. I told her that there were some. She 
she might have missed it, but here are a few. She said, oh, thank you so much. Um, I actually, she literally wrote a book on uh, the 1918 flu. She was like, oh, well, I guess that's not really that surprising because in the 1918 flu, Masks were also a sort of hot button topic, were a disputed topic, believed to be effective, but were discovered to not actually provide any benefit. So in some ways, this has been studied for over 100 years. Well, I think, you know, did they really not, you know, did they not look or did they just not want to look? I know. know. How how would they not have found this stuff? So I think that's why... You have to be very careful, you know, what you read. And like you said, do your own research. So, so this study, same thing, mask alone did not provide a benefit suggesting that a single personal protective interventions do not protect against incidents of influenza, like illness or influenza. Um, Yes. Yeah. So, so they're saying, but, but the interesting thing about this study, because you could play devil's advocate. So it says mask and hygiene helped. But yes. masks, masks alone were not as good. Yeah. So in a way, you'd be like, well, uh, as has been proffered, especially in recent conversation, I think more and more as the efficacy of masks is kind of being more openly discussed, people are saying, well, perhaps the, the effect is marginal and couldn't really be observed in a strict setting. But if it's infinitesimal, right, let's say it's 000 0.007% uh, reduced in, in, a, in an observation of 100 people. If you spread them billions, then you're going to knock it down a percent, maybe. You know what I mean? Uh, now, of course, what you'd have to then wait, is that actual cost, uh, is that benefit uh, cost analysis uh, still leading you in the place that you should do this, such a thing? I actually thought this was pretty helpful, though, because in, in proving the point where I was like, okay, well, together, face masks and hand washing provided some a benefit, a pretty small uh, benefit, but a benefit nonetheless. However, masks alone did not. So really what this is a study promoting is there is likely, at least according to the study, some benefit of washing your hands. So (laughs) I am not anti-hand washing. Well, yeah, and I don't know about you, but can we mandate hand washing? I mean, after people, especially men, pee or poop or my my kids, I, I don't think that's anything you can mandate. That's hard. And see, the CDC has tried super hard because there are little placards in just about every, I use public restrooms quite often, multiple, sometimes a dozen times a day. So I've got to tell you, and there are uh, CDC placards in just about every one of them. And you know what? I'm okay with my tax dollars going towards that. I like, yeah. I just like that. Bact- bacterially speaking. Yeah. Hand washing with soap and water. Don't use antibacterial soap because that's going to wipe out your gut flora. But Don't kill anything. Yeah. Yeah. Just good old soap and water. Even get C. diff. Soap and water is the way to go. So that, that was a good one. I chuckled. Yeah. I chuckled on that one. All right. Um, we'll do a few more because I want people to watch your video too. Sure. So yep. this one, a cluster randomized trial of cloth masks compared yes. with medical masks and healthcare workers, BMJ, which they've been killing it with COVID. They like doing good. They I really know. have been fantastic. Their editor, uh, Peter Doshi, especially has been uh, it's sort of doing almost like editorials or, or but yes. sort of like examining evidence. Uh, he was the one who hipped me, hipped me more specifically to absolute risk reduction. And he's been, mm-hmm. I, I, they, yeah, the BMJ, I think has been doing a stellar job, honestly, just of like uh, almost like consumer advocacy in a way of kind of like cutting through not the dross, but in a bit the dross, but also just the, the miasma of so much information mm-hmm. deluging all of us all the time. 
Yeah. And, and I feel like it, it's more open-minded, unbiased. I, I, I've enjoyed reading the BMJ during the pandemic. Yeah. So this I one's appreciate from it. 2015. Yeah. So this, this was uh, yeah. pretty significant because they looked at uh, 14 hospitals. So this was a, certainly a much more sizable study than, say, the common cold one uh, that we looked at. Um, I tried to present the evidence and kind of like not only sequentially, but also kind of in a ramping up like, oh, this is getting this is in a small effect, but let's look at a bigger. Hmm, same thing. Hmm, look at a bigger again. Hmm, same thing. So we can therefore begin to assume this effect is most likely going to be repeated as it has been repeated. This was 14 um, hospitals uh, in Vietnam. Um, they were assuming there would be no difference between medical masks and cloth masks. And we certainly in this country have made that assumption. I know for a while, I don't know what the statistics are now, uh, but for quite a while of the pandemic, 90% uh, of face masks being worn were cloth masks. So I was like, this RCT should be probably like top of the pops in terms of what's of relevance to us here in this country. Um, so they observed, now this RCT I have some problems with and I can discuss in a moment, but they, uh, they had a, a medical mask arm, they had a cloth mask arm, and then they very frustratingly had a sort of common practice arm. Uh, the common practice arm is the part that really annoys me. However, the conclusions were um, the uh, medical mask arm and uh, control arm did not have a statistically uh, significant uh, difference, but the uh, cloth mask arm had the highest rate of uh, influenza-like illness, had the highest rates, rates of infection, essentially, uh, even over the control arm. And the control arm common practice included uh, some people wore masks uh, a lot of the time, some people wore masks intermittently, some people wore no masks. Uh, so it's a, it's a varied group. I don't like that personally, as far as an RCT design. I wasn't in charge. I wasn't asked. I didn't leave Vietnam at the time. I would have preferred it just a full-on no mask. Um, but we still have the evidence here that cloth masks produced a greater infection than any other option. And there was differences between the control arm and the medical mask arm. So we know there was some difference between uh, in those uh, two sort of wearing practices. But cloth masks were the highest rate of infection of all potential groups. Now, this was also summarized in a systematic survey of RCTs, which is literally like the highest of high science um, on this. And they repeated the same statement, which uh, respirators, uh, unless worn continually uh, without interruption on a shift, were found to be ineffective. Medical masks found were ineffective, definitively, by the way, not were likely to be, literally were ineffective, and cloth masks were less than ineffective. As someone uh, on, on Instagram said when I first saw that uh, evidence, he said, what's, what's less than ineffective? That's, that's literally failing, that's conductive. That is conductive of infection. So if we're gonna treat this pandemic seriously, for example, and we're gonna use interventions that can actually help us, I would, I personally, I'm, I don't think it's very cautious to be like, well, we do have some evidence that this might actually make for more infections. Then let's not, let's just not take the risk. Let's not even do that. So that, when I found that one, I was a little bit mind blown because I was like, that seems crazy to me if we're really trying to take this seriously. Yeah, that study. So that one is the, it's from two, 2020, April 30th. And it's a rapid systemic review of the 
efficacy of face mask and respirators against coronavirus and other respiratory transmittable viruses for the community, healthcare workers, and sick people. Yeah. And I, I loved what you said about this, how, so respirators, we're talking about N95 masks. Yes. And oh. which of course people still think are just like, well, no, the problem is you just need an N95 and then you're done. It's like, well, we got to no, we got to slow up on that. Is it, is it better? Yes, because it's the one that had the singular positive result. But they've tested. I didn't include these in my video, but um, medical masks and N95 masks have been tested against each other. Four, five, six different random control trials. It's a, it's a, it's a heavily researched area, and consistently, except for a singular use exception, they. They did no one outperform the other. So anything that you've discovered about surgical masks throughout multiple years of research, you can apply to N95s just the same with really just that singular success story. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, because I, from my standpoint, what I think is N95 mask, if you're really worried about it, if it's properly fit tested, which that is a whole nother thing is getting it fit tested where healthcare workers, you have to put this thing over your head, they spray in the smell. And if you smell it, then you have not fit tested. You have to wear a Pappers. And that is this this thing that you put over your head and it seals and it moves the air. So, um, you know, and, and this is why healthcare workers were still getting COVID, even though they were wearing an N95 their whole shift, because it's not perfect. No, it's not. And, and it's with study. This is this study, this systematic survey is from, it's speaking to the healthcare system. So again, these are people who know how to put a dang mask on. This isn't, you can't just be like, oh, it was haphazard. It was like, no, these are people in a random control trial in the healthcare setting so there's no either you making a presupposition. There's just like oh they just they didn't get it is would be that's a that's a foolish presupposition. Yeah, we have to get trained on to how to to dome like take all our stuff off. Um, yeah, yeah, it, and it's it's a thing, and we we help each other take stuff off. You have you wipe everything down. I mean, the, the you're not touching the virus and touching your your mask or your face. I mean, it's this big thing. So the fact yeah. that they're still not even you know 100 percent effective. It is concerning. I think we're putting too much reliance on masks. Now, I would say last year when the pandemic first started, I was all about wearing a mask. I wore an N95 when I was out and about because I was, if I would go to the grocery store because I worked in the ER and I didn't want to yeah. affect other people. But we didn't have like, we had some research about this virus, but we didn't have a lot of knowledge about the virus. And, oh. you know, all these mass studies, you know, I, we're all just kind of waiting. So I was, I was an advocate for me wearing my N95 and being careful because I didn't want to affect others. But sure. now with all this research coming out, you know, not coming out, but just everything coming to light and the, you know, there are some studies that are including SARS. It's just, now we have to step back and be like, maybe we were wrong. Maybe this is doing more harm. What do the studies show? So I think it's that continually learning experience. And unfortunately, like doctors, healthcare workers, if we talk about masks and the research, we're like going to get threatened to be fired or, you know, we're like poo-pooed and, you know, I have friends sharing on Instagram or social media, Facebook or whatever, like save a life, wear a mask. And I'm like, what are you, do you, are you reading this, these research papers? Because I feel like I'm on an Island of 
I don't know, lost doctors. Yeah. Well, it happened uh, as I was looking, making the video, I started uh, researching. I was like, okay, could I get bring in an expert opinion? Like I'm, it sort of defeats the whole purpose. And I'm explaining the expert opinion is literally like the least important evidence that still gets called right. evidence. But I know a lot of people are into it. I, I call them credentialists. I was like, oh, you're kind of a credentialist. Okay. You need someone to tell you in a lab coat. Um, so I was like, I started looking for different doctors who'd spoken about it. And every single one I would find, I'd be like, oh, there were literally hit pieces about them. Now, listen, maybe some of these people were actually terrible. I don't know. I don't know them personally. I was just looking them up. There were like hit pieces on multiple of them. There was a head of a, literally like the German Medical Association who'd come out early and said that he didn't believe in the efficacy of masks and people called for his resignation. And I was like, oh my, so like you're not protected no matter where you're at. If people, again, if people feel like you're attacking something that they cherish and that happened really fast, I think. Yeah, I think I think I remember that. And, you know, we're looking at all this research and my biggest thing that I take seriously is my oath to do no harm. Yeah. And, you know, we look at I see a lot of patients that psychologically masks have really set them back from a mental health standpoint. Um, And, you know, when we look at this and we look at the evidence, it's like, are we doing harm? You know, are we doing harm by our children? Are we actually, you know, are, are we making them more sick because there's nasty, you know, bacteria on their mask? Cause we know I don't wash my kids mask every day when they came back from school that stayed in their backpack half the time. Sure. So, you were like, Oh, you wore that yesterday. Do you, do you have another one stuffed into your backpack somewhere? Yeah. No, this is, this one's my favorite. I'm only yeah. wearing this one. And so, you don't want to fight about it. Well, that was a part of my initial concern as well. Just as a thinking person, uh, I sat down, especially when they mandated masks for children in schools, I was like, okay, well, I'll take the hit of harm in order to try to like live at peace with all people sort of thing. Um, and as a side note, uh, I don't know if I said this in my video, I love masks. I love wearing masks. I adore it. My closet has been waiting for this pandemic my entire <laughs> life. My mask... I, my closet is full of masks. I didn't need to buy anything. I was literally ready for this. I love it. Okay. I've literally been asked now in my life, I've been asked to leave a grocery store because I was wearing a mask. And now in the past two years, I was asked to leave a grocery store unless I put a mask on. So that's the world I'm living in. <laughs> but once they mandate for children, I was like, hold on a second. My duty to protect my child, I think I consider of even greater um, sort of weight and importance, greater gravitas than protecting myself. And that's when my mind started spinning. And I was like, the harms, the obvious harms of putting a child or any human being in a mask are multitudinous. And I started riffing and texting my friends. And I was like, I came up with eight or nine salient points that we should at least consider before I even kind of stopped to be like, okay, let me brainstorm and think of what else. I mean, it's that that part of it, of this sort of rush to just do this thing that seemed like a cure almost, like concerned me greatly that we didn't just do the normal, okay, well, pros and cons list. The same if you were like going to go on vacation, two different options. You'd be like, well, we could go to Borneo, we could go to Bali, and here's the good and bad of both of those. Instead, it was just like, these work, shut your mouth, don't talk about it, I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that, the pros and cons. And it's interesting because... Um, a few, two of my kids, they, you know, wore masks at school, you know, 
they, if they don't fit right, you know, my one son, he liked the surgical ones and yeah. there's a gaping hole, you know, I mean, they're, they're not, there's studies and I can find these and link to them. I read them when I was writing like a mask letter before to like not wear a mask outside at the zoo. Cause that, that was ridiculous. When oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if you read the studies, if the mask doesn't fit properly, it is not effective. And that is my thing. Like my, my kids, their masks, like they, they just don't fit their face properly or they're pulling at them and, and all of this. So yeah. that that's another issue with kids in general. My one son's preschool, they did not mandate masks for preschoolers last year. Yeah, they didn't for my daughter at preschool. Yeah, and it was amazing. And um, I don't think they had any outbreaks. I, I think no. that they all rocked life and the kids were well adjusted and, yeah. and happy. So, you know, it's, I, I don't know our school district personally, they did not um, announce anything yet, which. Oh, okay. Yeah. What about your children's school? I went to the school board meeting. That's, uh, I felt like such an adult uh, advocating for my child at the school board meeting. Uh, so I went there when they voted on uh, Wake County here in North Carolina on whether to uh, make masking um, compulsory uh, or also, I suppose, hopefully considering voluntary or to I, also the option, ban them altogether. Nobody gets to wear them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went uh, mandatory, which really was super frustrating based on not only the the evidence for the efficacy of the intervention itself, but now at this point, we are so deep into this pandemic. It's not over. It's going to shift to endemic at some point. Who knows? We'll just we'll probably see in hindsight what it has. But we have enough evidence now to suggest that they are uh, their call was completely contradictory to evidence. One of the biggest studies done, the New York Magazine talked about this, a bunch of people that have, um, they, it was a study of like 90,000 or something crazy uh, school children here in North Carolina. And they, the, they expected, you know, something like 900 uh, COVID cases based on infection rates sort of in the areas of the school. And there's something like, there was 40 something. There was like 43. So we actually know that in terms of infection transmission amongst, amongst children, it's monumentally low. And, and people might want to credit masks, but we already know now the CDC put out their study on masks and ventilation in schools. They said there that there was a... Uh, you know, a reduction based on mandates. Now, of course, correlation doesn't equal causation, so we have to distance ourselves there. But mm-hmm. they said that there was a uh, 37% reduction in infections due to mask wearing, but a 39% reduction due to ventilation. But the same number of schools did ventilation as mask wearing. So in some ways, this is almost like the hand-washing masking thing in general. We are like, well, this just lets me though that that ventilation really works. And masking, we still don't really know. Also, in that one study, that's the best study the CDC has put out. They the uh, the schools doing things uh, were uh, there was 167, I believe, um, and there were 169 total schools looked at. So that means a control group of two schools, two schools to 167. That's the best evidence the CDC has. Now, still, the CDC people take them seriously. They also noted there was no difference in infection between mandatory mask schools and voluntary mask schools. Now check this out. The COVID-19 school response dashboard, which is a sort of a data set run, uh, supervisor operated by um, various educational associations, the um, National Association of Superintendents, um, secondary school principals, elementary school principals, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole bunch of school unions. 
um, they released data from a much, much wider data set that actually demonstrated a similar effect. There was no like statistically significant difference, but there was a difference, and it was 0.28% uh, infection, infections in mandatory mass schools, and uh, it was 0.22% uh, uh, infections in um, uh, sorry, in mandatory. In uh, the 22.22 was in, um, what's the word? Voluntary. Voluntary masking schools. So basically, man if you mandate masks, you've got a higher rate of infection than if you say, wear a mask if you want to. So we have that now consistently displayed that the threat involved in infections and transmissions in schools is, is inordinately low. We know that. We know there's no difference between those two, but the only difference favors letting people decide for themselves and then they still were like, no, you've still got to wear them. So to me, I was just like, I don't, well, wh by what, what metric then are we making decisions if I can't bring you evidence, the best evidence we have in every, right. from every situation, and you still just do it anyway? I'm like, aren't we, aren't we still in a pandemic? Aren't we trying to reduce infections, for example? I mean, amongst many other things, I think there's way more important things we need to be focused on. And really, and I'm part of the problem, even talking about masking, we should just stop talking about masking. Let's, because it, it's not, it's, A, it's not effective. Um, so we're just arguing about something that's really, really silly. Let's let anyone just make their ding-dang fashion choices. And let's focus on things that we know have like significant evidence of efficacy, like vitamin D levels or BMI, or, I mean, there's, we know so much at this point, but people right. don't, no one seems to care. And that kind of drives me a little crazy. Right. What is this actually about? Like you said, if this is not about the evidence, what is this about? I just, I truly have no idea. Yeah, it's it's almost like we're living in an alternative dimension, I feel like sometimes. And this is what has really bothered me about this pandemic is, and I've told this to my husband, I'm like, I wish this wasn't about like medicine or health or a virus. I wish this was about some other political issue because then I wouldn't be so bothered by it. Because <laughs> no, you could just walk away and be like, I, ugh, let, let them fight. Yeah. Be like, whatever. I don't care. Like let them do whatever. But, but yeah. yeah, this is personal because this is literally like, I was taught to look at studies. I was taught to follow the evidence. I was taught to also use common sense and use my experience Yeah, and, and none of it is working. And, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry about weak County. I, that's awful. Um, yeah, it was I, de deeply disheartening. Yeah. I, that's really frustrating. And you know, we'll, we'll see how things go, um, with my kids, you know, if it's voluntary or not, The yeah. I, I think that these conversations are important because I'm just, I'm not going to argue with people. Like you said, I'm just going to say, do you believe in science? Because everyone's saying they believe in science. So I'm like, why don't you read these sci scientific articles? Just read the conclusion, just skip to it and let me know then what you think. And, and we can have a conversation. You know, because I, I think it's it's hard. But like you said, you presented it to the school board. They did not care. They didn't care. And I was like, well, wait, this is literally the best data set by fellow educators. And it says more infections if you vote the way you think, I think you're going to vote. And then they voted for, they literally voted for more infections in that case. Right. Which so I don't, I don't, I don't. It was, it was, it was brain melting. It literally does make you feel like bizarro. It feels like a, like a political sort of like one of those, uh, like a Brechtian play or something. You know what I mean? We were like, things are quite, things are meant to be unreal. Well, my question is like, where are the lawyers? Because if I'm sending my kid into a situation where it's 
proven to have more infections. So are they going to sign a liability waiver on that? I mean, I just, I just want some of the lawyers to be like, Hey, here we go. But I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't quite understand. And I, we do know quite a bit more about mass harm. That's something I just briefly touched on in my video, just because I was like, just, you know, it's not an innocent Covering your face for a long time is not innocent. One can just, again, rationally assume we're missing out on serotonin from seeing people's facial features change. We're missing out on sort of empathy cues for someone like myself who might have a few issues with social cues and with children and development of language. We were running into all that sort of stuff, as well as there is some evidence of some bacterial limitation, which means you're inhibiting your intake uh, of bacteria, which you need for a like a, a multivaried uh, intestinal biome, right? We need yeah. that for immune system for our, for, and I'm, I'm, my immune health is pretty important to me. So it's like, these are all relevant and important things. And then consistently throughout these RCTs, up to like 20% of people in healthcare s- systems reported uh, headaches, brain fog, dizziness. Now those are minor things, but those are full-grown adults who are used to doing these things. So we can kind of, we can assume, you got to be careful with assuming, but you could assume a, a greater deleterious effect when you're sticking kids in these interventions, which have been demonstrated to have ill effect. And now there's been consistent science done on it. And actually there's, I, I pulled up what I think the the best uh, study on this is, and it has another ridiculous name. Again, sometimes I want to, as a writer, I want to come in and give these, <laughs> these studies better names, but these are not, these are academics. They're not poets. But the best study on mask uh, harms, if anyone's curious, is called, Is a Mask That Covers the Mouth and Nose Free from Undesirable Side Effects in Everyday Use and Free of Potential Hazards? This was a survey of over um, 65 publications. Uh, This is looking at uh, psychological effects, physical effects, like etc. But it's it's an it's the most exhaustive science on the subject. So we know a ton now that this is not a benign, just put it on your face, stop worrying about it. No, it's like, no, we have to consider the harms that we could ascertain just from reason, as well as now a pretty significant chain of evidence. And when that comes to kids and they're like developing systems, we can't just keep falling back on the, you know, kids are resilient. They'll be fine. Right. I've also, someone's argued with me before is that um, we know people that live in China and they wear masks all the time for particulate matter and, you know, when the air quality, and I'm like, yeah, my, my sister and her family, they lived in China for a year. You look on your phone when you're outside, you know, when the air quality is bad, first of all, you're not going to go outside for a long time. Second of all, yeah, you put that on for particulate matter, but we're not talking about particular matter. We're talking about kids sitting in school for eight to nine hours, you know, wearing these masks. And could you imagine, well, you couldn't imagine being a female girl, but oh, me. I, can, I can't, listen, I'm an actor, ma'am. I can, can imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So get yourself in that role, you know, and yep, feeling it. even, even me, like I get the mask me, if I wear the mask, you know, yes. I'm at an ER shift, I'm wearing the N95 my whole shift. Yes, and man. yeah, it's, 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 you, you get that. And it's, that would be awful for a young girl. Yeah. Um, well, and we shouldn't we shouldn't look at if we can look at like respiratory illness in Chinese people. I haven't started that my autodidactic trail, but I guarantee you the respiratory of health of Chinese people is not anything we want to base our the baseline of our own on. Yeah. For many for many reasons, it's 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 not uh, it's not a re- it's again it's and it's seeking some sort of like ludicrous anecdote sense to justify like ignoring plain evidence. That's the same thing. Like, well, doctors aren't dropping dead. It was like, well, no one said the children are going to die from wearing masks. We're also really not that worried about them 
dying from COVID as well. It's not impossible, <laughs> but it's it's, right. it's it's a statistical impossibility. So we're not really talking about dying here. What we're talking about health benefit and health like cost, right? That's that's yeah. all we're discussing. Yeah. First, do no harm, and and I think yeah. that if we have something that is not studied very long, you know, that is something that we need to worry about more. What are the long term effects of all of this? And this is what we're really not looking at, unfortunately. Did you see this study? I I was just having fun searching PubMed because that's what I do for fun. I'm I'm really as do I. What a weird, what a weird fun to have. Yeah, we we are weird. So it's from Chow FL. So adolescents face mass usage and contact transmission and novel coronavirus. Mm. Journal Public Health um 2020. So this was fun. So it what it basically did it it had dye it, they they used like a stimulation for contact tr- transmission while using a computer mm-hmm. with people wearing masks and they had people taking off masks in relatively safe areas um, most people reported using one mask per day and storing the mask in their pocket as a result mask surfaces became a contamination source um, yeah. ten adults were asked to 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 don to don and doff a surgical mask while doing a word processing task. And then they have pictures of all the contamination areas. And it says when the hand touches the surface of the mask, it may spread the virus to the subsequent co- contact area. So yeah. it, it, it's just funny because I don't know. I, I've seen so many funny things. I mean, this would be a funny skit for you to do. You know, people <laughs> touching their mouth, they're licking their hand. You know, at the grocery yeah. store, I, I remember seeing someone taking their mask off, licking their hand and then opening that vegetable bag. Yes. No, and it's like... I'm about to take it political for one moment because this is one of my favorite mask usage things. I think it was during like a debate, but some sort of public moment. uh, Joe Biden had started wearing a mask as part of his, let's be honest, part of the optics of his political campaign. And at some point, he literally, he took the mask down in order to cough. I took it down (laughs) (coughs) and then put it back up. I was like, oh, yes, that, that... I mean, that is, I mean, I can't, I almost can't write anything better than that. That is, yes. that is, that's hilarious. Yes. Pretty, well, and, and as we've learned, this is another thing that changed from last year is there was still an assumption that there was a heavy amount of transmission coming from droplets, right? And that's what so many of the studies that we saw through the news were, were like, oh, this computer model, oh, these mannequins in a room. There was a, a study I I heard referenced or saw referenced in print so many times about hamsters, two hamsters in two different cages, and there was a surgical mask placed between them. Because we know animals, we know all these weird animals now are carriers of COVID. So of course it's somewhat relevant, but it's also ridiculous that you're going to base like human policy uh, on hamster uh, responses. Um, but now that we know much more, now we know much more that aerosols are like the primary driver. Then we're talking about, this is not only about the looseness of masks and the filthiness of masks, but there also is a sense, which people have been conjecturing since like March of last year, uh, there's a sense of compression. So actually, in some ways, masks might be creating actually a greater aerosol effect by, by a compression, by actually compressing said droplets. So it's already moving through. In, in terms of like the fine mist of, of aerosols, not all the aerosols are blocked even by an N95, but it's also then creating aerosol through any of those leakage points that you're talking about, no matter how minute, as well as the actual like micron small holes within the masks themselves. Almost the same way that if you blow, if you're spraying the hose by itself, or you com- if you put your thumb over the hose, mm. compression, compression wise, then it actually, it actually sends the aerosols out like 
faster and harder from the mask. So we, I mean, for a while, that's all we have is these like mechanistic studies to be like, well, in a computer, it looked like it could have, blah, blah, blah. and it's like, well, now the reason those have disappeared is now that we know it's aerosols, they pretty much had to chuckle those out and stop talking about them. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have, I mean, these layers, these are just practical layers of the why. Why, for example, why aren't masks effective, which I think a lot of people are obsessed with, or why would anyone not be telling us about this? I honestly, I don't care that much about those particular whys, because we just know that this is, the, this is what happened when they tested it. But at least we know now, at least we have quite a few more like, relevant hypotheses to sort of ascertain exactly these levels of filth, the touching, the spraying, the, the squeezing, the et cetera. Right. Yeah, definitely. So what do you say to the people out there that are like, oh, you're just cherry picking the studies. You're only cherry picking the RCTs that um, fit your agenda. What do you say to those people? Uh, Have you ever eaten cherries from a cherry tree is usually what I say, Um, (laughs) because the cherries uh, are exactly what you pick and eat. You don't pick leaves. You don't pick stems. You literally you cherry pick, that's, that's what you consume. And science, I'm literally humil- I'm humiliating myself. I'm humbling myself uh, before the dais of uh, great scientists before me. And I'm saying, hey guys, you tell me what cherries are the ripest and I'll go and pick them. Uh, that's my multi-stage answer. First, the first answer, if I don't feel like, if I can tell they're being glib is, uh, yeah, you only pick cherries because that's what you eat. And then if they don't engage any further, then we can finish our conversation. But truly, I'm literally like, what do the pickers, what do the growers of all cherries say? Which cherries do you pick? And I pick those. Also, in my video, I try to be very clear. I am making the case. I'm here to make a case. I'm telling you I'm making the case, as opposed to there's been quite a bit of narrative going on the past year where people haven't been telling you that they're making a case, but they are doing so. They're, they're acting as though they're presenting you all the stuff we know, and here's, the, here's what we know, here's what we know. And they've been presenting one side of the case. So I'm here presenting my opposite case. I'm not here to pick cherries for the other team. I've considered it. It's been, it was April when I put the video up. I've considered it. I could make the case for mask efficacy, and it would be a great video. And then all the people who think I'm a, a jerk and trying to kill their grandma would share it. I was like, I know the case now. I've, I've read plenty. I, I can find you. There's three, four different RCTs that have either singular events or conclusions that would, that would support it as well. It's simply the preponderance of high confidence evidence that we have as human beings that tells us most likely masks are ineffective to literally conductive uh, of infection. So that's the short and the long answer all, throw, all thrown together. Yep. Love it. And, and that's the thing is, like you said, we've only been hearing one side. Here's another side. And it seems like there's more studies, more RCTs, the, the cream of the crop saying they're ineffective. Yes, there's, there's, there's just indisputably, there's more evidence from that sort of, that tier, that strata. That's another reason why I brought the hierarchy and I was like, this is why this is pretty important and relevant. And it's also something that has sort of repeatedly been trumpeted as something that didn't exist, which again, I'm not here to get in this, any sort of conspiracy-ness, but for some reason... I would assume, honestly, just people aren't that good at their job. Ineptitude is more likely than anything, uh, or being rushed. People are just rushed to get another article out, get another article out. If, if your editor is like, mm, I don't know, that might give us some kickback, but not good kickback, and people won't click on our, on our site, and therefore we won't get as many ad sales. So they're just pushing, and they're feeding their audience. Yeah. Sure, sure, whatever. But we have to, yeah, again, we have to just 
We have to discuss everything. We have to talk about all of it. If this is an important issue, this is no time to censor, stifle. We've got to know this is, this is the full-on brainstorm amongst the entire populace and especially from literally the stuff we're supposed to pay the most attention to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, well, I, I love it. I love all the dedication. It takes a lot of time to go through all these studies like you have. And I, I want to thank you for that. And I watched your video and I found the, the studies that you spoke of. And it, that's, it, that's great. That's yeah. my dream, by the way. That's I, I don't know. I don't put links in my descriptions or whatever. I was like, I want to screen cap it so you can Google it yourself. You can. I didn't invent it. I didn't. This isn't my science. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> this is literally done by credible experts. This is people doing science in the field. But I want people to like realize, take a little bit of power too in that process of like, okay, well, let me let me just double check. Let me just double check to make sure what I'm hearing is real. And don't you don't have to take it from me. People wouldn't. Again, I'm an actor. I'm a goofball. But like, don't take it from anyone, no matter who, how credible they are. If they haven't presented you evidence for what they're telling you you have to do, then, then take, a, take a step back and, and validate. I, I agree with you. And I say to my patients, I like it when my patients ask me questions, when they challenge yeah. me, when they ask me for you know, where the studies with this, you know, and if, if it's based on my experience, I tell them, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of evidence with this, but this is how we treat this. This is my experience because some, I do a lot of things that are outside the box. Um, right. But that being said, conventional medicine, they do a lot of stuff that's not studied, that's outside the box, but it's a pharmaceutical box. So it's okay. Yes. Things yeah. that are off label, you know, and, and it's, it's crazy, but, but I think, I think it's amazing. I think you are an amazing example of researching on your own, you know, spending your time instead of, you know, binging on, you know, shows or whatever you put in, the, <laughs> yeah. you put in the work and you're an advocate for your community and for your family. And, you know, and I appreciate it really. Well, thanks. And you know, you can also credit my, um, I have an autoimmune uh, disorder. I have uh, I have ulcerative colitis, and one of the side effects of ulcerative colitis, to advocate for those in my position, uh, is frequent uh, and really, let's say, emergency emergency runs to the restroom. But that means throughout this pandemic, I have spent a lot of time sitting on the toilet, and I try not to just like waste my time. I probably shouldn't take my phone there at all. But based on how often I'm there, I, I'm, I can't do it just alone anymore. Um, can't be that meditative. And so because of that, honestly, I, I got to tell you, that's probably 20% of my research over the past year was just, I was like, well, if I'm stuck in the toilet again, let me just do some more research, see what I can find. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, you know, just sand, put your phone in a UV filter. You know, <laughs> yes. <sanitize> <laughs> yes, I do. I have, I have frequently, yeah. no, my, I, like I said, I've done the research. So I know how, how credible handwashing is and how, how important that level of sanitation is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Brennan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. How can, how can we reach you and find your, your talent, your skits, all of that, your shows? Yeah. Um, I mean, just search me on IMDb. I mean, heck, watch me on Hulu on the last season, season finale of Brooklyn Nine-Nine or look, uh, watch me on Loudermilk uh, on Amazon Prime. It's actually a pretty fantastic show. Or just come find me on Instagram at Fireball McNamara. And if you want to talk about any of this stuff or you actually want to know 
I would love to, honestly, for this, I want to just encourage as much critical thought in this time period as possible. So I'm happy to help people kind of like start on that journey. That's one of the things I do on Instagram too, is sometimes like look at articles and be like, all right, let's critically think about that. What's the presupposition behind that phrase, behind that statement? Is there evidence for that? Well, there's actually evidence for both positions. So it's unusual they picked one. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I'm always uh, available. I'm literally, I'm I'm not a doctor. Uh, so I, all I'm saying, all I can do is share uh, evidence and share research and share literally other people's sort of research and opinions and then go on. I mean, that's in some ways it's, I feel like I've been very helpful to people in, in that sense of just like, kind of just like a side advisor of like, what do you know? And I'll literally be like, here's four articles. Here's three studies. Look at those. You make the decision for you. You have all the, the counselors you have in your, of your intellect, your reason, your intuition, your own personal experience. And then you go talk to people you trust. But again, here's, here's just information. Let's keep sharing it. And let's, Let's learn how to, I mean, this is something you learn if you're in and out of the hospital, like I have been in my life, that you do have to be your own advocate for your own health. And that continues not just in like a doctor's office or a hospital, but that really extends to your entire life and how you live. Because we're all, we're all little snowflakes. We aren't, but we are all individual people. And so we all, there's no intervention that's going to work the same for anybody. So come on, I'll, I'll come on. I'll talk to anyone about it. Oh, that that was a great way to end. That was so beautiful. That was so speaking to my heart. So thank you so much for of course for sharing your time with us. Thank you. This podcast is created and hosted by Dan Flagar, and it's for informational purposes only. It is not medical advice. This podcast exclaims responsibility for adverse effects from use of information contained in this podcast. This podcast does not promote opinions of their guests as their own and does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests of the show or endorse any qualifications for the guests of this podcast. Guests may have financial disclosures. If you think you have a medical problem, consult your personal physician team. Thank you for joining.